Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, May 17th. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. Joining you here as we work our way through the month of May, starting to look at opponents. Our theme in segment one today is the Nordame schedule. Just to give a quick recap of it, September, it's at Florida State, Toledo and Purdue at home, Wisconsin in Chicago. In October, it's Cincinnati at home, Virginia Tech on the road, followed by Southern Cal, North Carolina, and Navy at home moving into November. And then Notre Dame concludes with two games of the last three on the road at Virginia, Georgia Tech at home and at Stanford. And I asked you guys if you had checked this out. And for those, Jack, I don't know if that story's up yet, but um, Notre Dame's, and we do, we deal with this every year. Uh, you, you, the first thing you do is add up how many of Notre Dame's opponents have a bye week before they play Notre Dame. And the number this year is six, including five in a row with Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech on the road, Southern Cal and North Carolina. Each one of those teams have a week off before playing Notre Dame. Thoughts on that? <laughs> they're good. They're good teams. That's why we just kind of mentioned that beforehand. They're, they're good teams. That's why mm-hmm. I think it becomes relevant. And and then consecutively makes a difference as well. If you, if you said Georgia Tech has Wasn't a week there, off. And so like, was Toledo, a couple of years ago, weren't there like seven or eight or yeah, something? Pete, yeah, Pete did a story on that one. Like eight, right? Something. Yeah, I was think it was eight, which is why six. I'm like, mm, six is fine. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, in the middle of that run as well, um, you know, before USC, I think it was after, it's yeah, after Notre Virginia Dame Tech before USC. Notre Dame and USC both have the bye. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that makes that makes sense. That breaks it up a little bit. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, if I was planning a schedule um, and I wasn't, I mean, well, even if I was Clemson, I would probably want to buy before Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, that's that like, if I was Notre Dame, I would want to buy before USC. Unless I was playing Clemson, I'd want to buy before Clemson. Um, you know, I think that, that all it make it makes sense. It's a if Notre Dame wasn't as good, those teams probably wouldn't care if they had a buy before Notre Dame. Yeah, and it, I mean, you understand why. I mean, especially with Notre Dame now not in the ACC, you understand why ACC teams want to pursue something like that before playing Notre Dame. The sixth game, I don't know if I mentioned that 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 in which the opponent has a buy before playing Notre Dame is at Virginia. Uh, on, on November 13th, Virginia has the, the previous weekend off on Notre Dame is playing Navy. So that makes it a little bit more challenging. I know there's still out there so many people out there that believe this is a slam dunk 11 and one, 12 and oh, um, but that makes it a little bit more difficult, uh, especially <clears throat> when you consider really the best, the best teams on Notre Dame's schedule this year are Wisconsin. I would expect Wisconsin to be better than a four and three team. Um, which is what they were last year. Cincinnati's still good. Southern Cal is Southern Cal, North Carolina. I mean, most of the, you know, the best teams on that schedule are are uh, are going to have that advantage over Notre Dame. But, um, you know, they do open at Florida State. Florida State, and here's another thing that we have to keep an eye on, and now that I'm uh, delving more into Notre Dame's opponents, beginning to discover it, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of transfers and grad transfers out there that are, you know, just going to step onto the field. That's what makes the Dylan Gibbons thing like unheard of in previous years because, I mean, he goes from potentially starting for Notre Dame in the Notre Dame-Florida State game to still potentially starting in the Notre Dame-Florida State game only on the other side of the field. That's just outrageous to me to think about that. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, Jack Cohn is a year removed from that. Um, you know, Phil Jakovic did it last year. That's is kind of the new, the new thing, right? Like it's not um, something to get something to get used to. But I mean, it's interesting to me. I was I was thinking about the the grad transfer with Gibbons, and I mean, we've probably talked about this on previous podcasts where we had a 
like, well, would Notre Dame take a grad transfer in at guard because they needed help? And that was with Dylan Gibbons still here. Right. Dylan Gibbons doesn't transfer out because Florida State was that hard up for offensive linemen. Um, you know, I I don't think Dylan Gibbons would have started the Florida State game in a Notre Dame uniform, but um, that doesn't mean he wouldn't have been a valuable <laughs> part of the, the offensive line. Yeah, I think the most important thing is that it's Dylan Gibbons, not Kevin Austin. You want to look at it that way in terms of the talent loss that might go start for your opponent in the opening game. Uh, I was going to use Tyler Buckner, but that would really cause, send shockwaves. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Gibbons would have started. He would have played. Um, it probably helps Florida State because, I mean, there it's – I don't know how much, though. It, you have to be cohesive on an offensive line, right? I think Dylan Gibbons would have been a better player for Notre Dame. So I, I know he might start for Florida State, but I think he's a better player for Notre Dame's offensive yeah. line than he is for Florida State's with a bunch of new guys that are he's never practiced with as opposed to mostly new guys. But really it would have – if you would have had Patterson, Lug, Gibbons and fill in your talent guys with Fisher and Spindler, I think it would have been better off for him. But uh, he gets to start, so it's better off for him in that way, right? Yeah, and I don't know that that's locked in that he gets to start for Florida State. But, yeah. I, but I – you know, and I agree. When I say that he could have started for Notre Dame – I met with like two weeks before the spring game, we were still saying, you know, it was a, it was a possibility. And, and, uh, and I imagine it still could have been, but he certainly wasn't getting the the first team snaps that we anticipated. um, Got a lot of time on Dylan Gibbons these last couple of weeks, to be honest with you. If you think about it, there's a, (laughs) for a guy, yeah. For a guy that has started one game and, and, you know, even that was a, that was an emergency situation. Um. Well, I guess I guess Kramer was back that week, and Kramer ended up Kramer actually ended up going into that game and playing the second he did second Gibbons, half of the Syracuse game. Gibbons' best, I think, was when he filled in emergency for Eichenberg's eye situation when he came in at guard. Yeah, that was probably his best contribution. Now, in terms of um, talent drain, that's my my name for it ad nauseum here the last few years, but just the the the, the talent that has walked out the door, and of course, when you compare Notre Dame and its twelve opponents. It's not even close. Notre Dame lost nine guys were drafted. Five guys were were signed as free agents. You had 14 players that made from significant to extremely significant contributions to last year's playoff team are gone. And I, and I don't think that you can underestimate that, but Stanford lost the second most, according to my calculations. And then behind them was North Carolina, but North Carolina is in a better position to offset that. And then fourth, I had USC with five draft picks and two free agents and a first-round draft choice and offensive guard uh, Elijah Vera Tucker. So, um, you know, even Florida State, a lousy football team like Florida State, which has become a lot. I mean, they've it is a, no, you're right. It's, it's they're weird a lousy to say football it's program bad, right now. They're three and six program. last year, but they lost. You know, they had they had four guys drafted and Marvin. The two guys that signed as free agents for Florida State were Marvin Wilson and Tamori and Tamori and Terry. Yeah, that guy's a problem on the football field. Yeah, <laughs> well, and he, and he must be a bit of a problem on yes, and off it because sure. that guy should be drafted. I mean, why is he? Why was he not drafted? Yeah, I, I. But I think the key is Notre Dame. When you say you know North Carolina is better equipped to handle it than Stanford, that's for sure. USC is probably slightly better equipped to handle it than North Carolina. And Notre Dame is much better equipped to handle than all the teams on their schedule. True. No, there's no doubt about it. You know, that's, yeah, I would just say, look, if you're you're better equipped to handle it if you have certainty at the quarterback position. USC has it. North Carolina has True. it. Florida State doesn't. Um, so that's I, I would think that North Carolina and USC can sort of pass their way through this kind of roster turnover, whereas Florida State and Stanford in particular, um, you know, Davis Mills is out the door there. Like that's. They may just be in a perpetual state of rebuilding at this point. Yeah, and you know, I mean, Davis Mills would have had he would have had a hell of a twenty twenty one at Stanford, I would think. Uh, on the flip side, and I just say this to remember it to remember that a couple of years ago, Notre Dame struggled against Ball State, and I realized that they had not found their their quarterback at that point. But Notre Dame plays Florida State on Sunday, Labor Day Sunday and then has to come back and play Toledo the following Saturday. It is in Notre Dame Stadium, but Toledo is the most experienced in terms of veteran players coming back from last year. They're the most experienced team, and they will be considered one of the favorites to win the MAC this year. So they've got some talent. Um, Pete, what do you got? 
I was going to say, I have six words for you on the Toledo discussion. What are we even doing here? <laughs> no, Brian Kelly gets his wish, guys. <laughs> Brian Kelly gets his wish. Ten years ago, he said, I wish we had the luxury of playing Toledo. When Ohio State, when Ohio State played <laughs> Toledo and Notre Dame lost to Michigan, he gets his wish. He's well, I don't, I'm, Game I'm, number not, two. I'm not suggesting that Notre Dame should or even could lose to Toledo, but it can be a game that's a challenge when you've had one less day of preparation. You're coming back from Florida where it's going to be 117 degrees on game day in, in September. So, uh, you know, I mean, that could be one of those games where it's like, okay, they're a little slow out of the gate. You have some reasons behind it. Navy, I I had Navy next with the least amount of talent loss and the least amount of talent to start with, (laughs) obviously. And then Virginia, Virginia, we know as a well-coached team, they took a step back last year. They had a whole bunch of, um, you know, seniors choose the option like a Kurt Heinisch did uh, to come back and use that extra year. Georgia Tech is is still in rebuilding mode, but they've got a lot of components coming back next year too. So Cincinnati's in there, but again, Cincinnati is is Cincinnati lost three draft picks and three free agents. But they're still deep and good. And I, anybody yeah. that thinks, okay, they're not a Power 5 conference team, I mean, they're going to be pretty good and they're going to be a handful for Notre Dame. And that comes uh, the week after playing Wisconsin. Yeah, so I, that I think that's, that's the key to Cincinnati, I think, is Notre Dame certainly will be favored by more than a touchdown. I mean, let's, let's assume Notre Dame is good. And Cincinnati's good. Notre Dame's going to be favored by more than a touchdown against Cincinnati. No one believes Cincinnati should beat Notre Dame, but Cincinninnati's as capable of beating Notre Dame as almost everybody on the schedule, right? right. If, if that's well, the way of saying it. I mean, USC and North Carolina, and then there's Cincinnati and Wisconsin. I mean, Cincinnati's a good football team, and they'll play Notre Dame well, and it's just – I was going to say it's a little harder for Notre Dame getting up for that one after Wisconsin. Um, let's say you start 4-0. You know, it's realistic to say Notre Dame starts 4-0 after the Wisconsin game. That's mild, That's a mild trap situation, right? I guess Brian yeah, Kelly, I guess it'd be a little more focused. Is. But. And, and like Pete said, you know, about Howell coming back for North Carolina quarterback and Slovis and USC, and Cincinnati has their quarterback yeah. coming back. He's, the, he's the, the defending AAC player of the year in the conference, um, Desmond Ritter. So, you know, it'll be a handful – we never take anything for granted. I know Notre Dame's won 32 straight games against unranked teams. Uh, there's a reason why people don't have, you know, Notre Dame and Alabama have the two longest. Alabama's is outrageously long. And but there's a reason why. And it's, I mean, I don't know why we should be surprised at upsets. Don't we see them every week of football season? We generally do. Uh, and a lot of times it's near upsets and not actual upsets. But near, near upsets are unsettling. They're unsettling as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the unranked thing won't apply to Cincinnati or Wisconsin, right? Right, right, like, right. You know, it's to me that and that that streak is significant and important, and certainly will apply, I think, to Virginia and Virginia Tech, exactly. State. That exactly. I mean, if you told me like, hey, Notre Dame will get, they'll keep their unranked opponent and their home winning streak alive, like that's that's eleven and one. Like, it's it's hard to not be at eleven and one at that point, but. The home winning streak may be somewhat difficult with Cincinnati, USC, and North Carolina. And where Virginia Tech can be tricky, you have Wisconsin and Cincinnati right before them, and then you go to Virginia Tech where, you know, Notre Dame was able to take that crowd out of the game to some extent, Um, you know, especially as it it got later into the game. And it was was obvious Notre Dame was going to win the game. Mm You take the crowd out of that situation. They may not be, you know, you may not be in that situation the second time through. So that's a little bit of a touch on the schedule. Obviously, Irish Illustrator will be writing about and talking about this as we move through the summer and start evaluating teams by position and, you know, where everybody disagrees, where I rank Notre Dame. (laughs) Remember Remember how much feedback I got last year, negative feedback, when I had Notre Dame's wide receivers rated at the bottom of the entire group. Remember that? Yes. I, and now that I'll be on yeah. your side. But I want to. I do want to point out one thing about the schedule because we've joked since we saw that. Um, we had one question say, I'm looking at the schedule and I don't see a loss. What am I missing? We've joked about that since. And Tim said objectivity. Remember now, last year, 
I picked Notre Dame to go undefeated. And it's because they were better than all their teams except for one. You know, then they would lose to the team they beat, obviously, which is what happened. And because Notre Dame's offensive line was the single most known entity in all of the entire schedule, other than Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, was not a known entity because he didn't play. But the Notre Dame offensive line was so obviously the best part of each game, other than the Clemson game. And then he just figured, hey, they could pull an upset. Right now, the only known, the only real known quantity is I do think Notre Dame's rush defense is probably the best thing in every game they play in terms of the best unit on the field. The only reason you that's cause for pause is, hey, there's sometimes people could just throw 50 times and pull an upset off you too. But I do think that's what Notre, Dame, Notre Dame's calling card is now for the people that say I don't see a loss. Remember, rush defense, great, but your, your offensive line's a question mark. And I don't want to say that every week because I feel like I'm a broken record and acting like they have the worst offensive line in the world. I mean, They're not even time, close to the last in, three years. Yeah, how many times in the history of college football do we have to see this to recognize that it it does it takes it takes time for an offensive line and I yeah but hey but your point taken Tim I mean when you're strong you know last year offensive line this year defensive line if you want to be strong anywhere I mean we can talk about right. skill position athletes and all that and that's important we saw how important it was in Alabama versus Notre Dame but Notre Dame got there because of how good they were in the trenches. Coming up, segment two, questions from our readers burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question from ND Band ninety four: Are there any opposing teams' defensive lines or front sevens that scare you, knowing we have to start four new offensive linemen? Or do you feel with the talent we have, we should be able to handle any team we face? Uh, I wouldn't say scare. I don't think that there's. I don't think there are a bunch of great defensive fronts. I think the two best are Wisconsin and Cincinnati, uh, which come back to back. Back-to-back games, so that's a bit concerning. Um, you know, I think Toledo's defensive front's pretty good, but it's Toledo. I think North Carolina's gotten a little bit of a boost with transfers. Uh, USC should be up there, but but they usually aren't. They're too forgiving against the run. So it's not overwhelming. And I don't look at it like Notre Dame has too much, so much talent on the offensive line. It doesn't matter because – it it's so much more than just talent on the offensive line. We know Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler have talent. We know they're going to be good to probably great college offensive linemen, but they're not that now. And that's where, you know, especially if they're lined up next to each other, we'll find out what happens in August as far as alignment. But, you know, you can scheme against them. We've talked about that in the past. You can scheme against a couple true freshmen lined up next to each other and take advantage of their inexperience. But Wisconsin, Cincinnati, I think, have the two best defensive fronts, what I've seen up to this point in starting to study what's coming out of the spring. Cincinnati is, I, I think, the one that gets your attention the most, or my attention the most. Um, I think it's MJ Sanders or MyJ Sanders. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. 6'5", 260 defensive end. He had seven sacks in 10 games last year. Um, you know, you, if you get the right matchup with him, whether it's Blake Fisher or – you know, Josh Lug or, you know, spins inside to run into to Rocco Spindler. I mean, there's Cincinnati has a lot of good players coming back in their front seven and they know how to play football because they were so good at it. Marcus Freeman is here. So that to me is you could run into a situation there where they're, they, they're really good. They could maybe out talent Notre Dame and, you know, play here or there, but I think they could also fool a, a young offensive line who's, at that point, you're talking about game five. Um, probably should be starting to settle into a rhythm a little bit, but that's a that's a position. Like if they played Cincinnati in November, I might feel a little bit differently about it. I, I kind of look at this two ways. There's uh, there's true freshmen that are really good, like Michael Mayer and maybe Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler. 
but they're still really good for true freshmen. Does that make sense? Like if, if Michael sure. Mayer drops a touchdown in the Clemson game as a junior All-American, people are going to go ballistic. But he drops a touchdown in the Clemson game when he's a true freshman. Like, oh, man, he could have had that one because he's going to be awesome. He's an All-American. Everybody loves him. So like Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler in a couple of years, they would be stoning Cincinnati's veteran front. And it, they wouldn't be just good for freshmen. They'd be just good. And then my other one to throw to Tim, what do you think about if Pitt never had the opt-outs? Like, for a sake of comparison for the readers, Pittsburgh's defensive line was your top rated yeah. last year. Let's say they never had the opt-outs. That is that the best defensive line above Cincy and Wisconsin? Yes, yes. yes. And then Clemson would be two last year, too, right? Obviously, Clemson would be number two from. Uh, from I mean, Clemson's D line wasn't what with, with Tyler Davis, twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, certainly. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, I was going to ask you guys this, and I do you know who do you know who replaced Marcus Freeman? I mean, if we haven't, if you haven't looked into it yet, no, yes. uh, yeah. oh, yeah. it's a trust. It's a it's Mike trust. Tr- yeah, it's Mike Trust. I, I want to say Jim, which obviously is not right, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously the, some Luke Fickle, Michigan State connections there. But, yeah, yeah that – I mean, I sort of view, like, Trestle, I think, is a good college coach, but he's following a great one. And, you know, maybe in the same way that whoever followed Harry Heastan was going to inherit Harry Heastan's teaching. By the way, I saw Harry Heastan at the South End Farmer's Market on Saturday. Is that right? Yeah, dog. He seemed very relaxed. Did um, he add uh, him up? Uh, no, I just gave him a wave. Um, yeah. You know, kept my distance a little was bit. He, but... Was he walking around with Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler? <clears throat> he was not. No? He was not solo. Just a black lab. <laughs> but I think that you know Trestle is going to inherit some really good teaching. You know, Luke, Luke Fickle's a really good defensive coach too. Um, that sh- that should be a good unit. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of like uh, well, for example, Justin Fuente won 19 games in his first two years as head coach at Virginia Tech after following Frank Beamer. They've won 19 games now in the last three years, as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to his first two. So, uh, but yeah, so Mike Trussell will benefit from a very well coached defense, a veteran defense coming back. Um, you know, again, and Wisconsin. I don't know that Wisconsin offers any star individuals, but Jim Leonard's defense held opponents under 300 yards per game last year. They were they were a top 10 scoring defense. They led the Big Ten, so you know that they'll consistently be good sure a question from uh irish eyes football one what is one game that you could see being a trap game for Notre Dame? i could see virginia tech it's on the road the Notre Dame will be coming off back-to-back games against wisconsin and cincinnati and uh irish eyes football one is assuming of course the Notre Dame. it's a trap game because uh, assuming that Notre Dame is coming off wins over wisconsin cincinnati you know Cincinnati is the trap game if there was no such thing as Marcus Freeman coming to Notre Dame from Cincinnati and Brian Kelly coaching there in his career because that's the one that everybody would overlook. But Marcus Freeman kind of takes that off the table, right? I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty. Marcus Freeman and Brian Kelly are going to be pretty fired up not to lose to Cincinnati, I think. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess Pete, you might have a better one than me. Can North Carolina be a trap game after your rival? I mean, not. Not really. It's at night, right? Sam it's Howell. A, and at night. So that gets everybody yeah. up already. I I don't think I've ever listed a season opener as a trap game, but for me, it's Florida State. Yeah, um, it's, a good call. it's on the road. It's at night. It's going to be hot. And you've got a lot of questions to answer on the fly against a team that, you know, the uniforms remind you of good teams, but it's not a great team. And the players on the team don't remember Florida State being great, probably. Um, I think that I don't know that to me that one could get really tricky. Um, I you know Virginia Tech is I think I, the, where it falls on the schedule is good. I just the more I read up on Virginia Tech, the more I think that that is on a a a path that is not going to turn around for Justin Fuente. Um, you know that doesn't mean they can't get Notre Dame, but I I I just don't think they're going to be very good this year. No, nah, I agree. I mean, it's it's heading in the wrong de- direction for Justin Fuente. I think this is pretty late in the season to be a trap game, especially if Notre Dame is you know with one loss or undefeated. But at Virginia, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, coming off Navy, not because of not <laughs> certainly not because the opponents wrapped around it because it's Navy and Georgia Tech. Um, but you know, going there. <laughs> we've been there we know what it we know how easily a game could possibly get away from Notre Dame at Virginia completely different 
circumstances, of course, in a few years back. But, I think uh, we could do a lot of this trap game stuff if you could just give me the record Notre Dame has going into the game. That's yeah. why Pete's Florida State's a good one, because I don't know what the offensive line or the quarterback or the receivers will do in that game. So that's a huge trap. Um, I think Notre Dame will pummel Florida State's offensive line, though. So if you look at it from X's and O's, you lose a little bit of the trap. But traps happen because of two stupid turnovers, right? A trap happens at Florida State because you make two dumb turnovers that Ian Book wouldn't have made. Yeah. Everybody likes to rip on Ian Book and say how much better they're going to be, but when did Ian Book throw interceptions in those situations? Oh, but it was like a, no, but he should have thrown interceptions. He wasn't daring enough. He yeah. should throw more, yeah. which, which I, I mean, I understood that sentiment at, at a certain point because he wouldn't test the, feed, he wouldn't test the defense downfield, uh, but it sure was nice having a guy that rarely ever turned the football over. Rob Ebert, how much does Dylan Gibbons know about the Notre Dame offense that he can pass on to the coaching staff at Florida State? Similarly, will Jack Cohen have any insight into what the Badgers might do, or is this kind of stuff overblown? I think it can be overblown at times, but it can't. It, it, you, you don't want to underestimate it. I mean, we've seen what Notre Dame had to do, like signaling-wise, when they yeah. played Clemson at home during the regular season last year. Um, you know, did, does, Jack, does Jack Cohen have more insight – to provide about the offense or the defense. I mean, I think what you see is what you get with Wisconsin's offense, right? Yeah, I agree. You know? it's, I don't think they're going to trick you. Um, I, I always thought this is something that we probably make too much of, but that doesn't mean you would just ignore it entirely. I mean, Tim, your point about the signaling is the best one. Just like, just with a little bit of due diligence, you should avoid, you should be able to make this not be a thing if you're a coach. Yeah, we've asked Brian Kelly a few times what a former assistant he would go against from the previous year. He's like, oh, we got to change some signals, but we're prepared for that. That's you definitely, yeah, Pete, you're right. You have to do something, but well, I, think everybody, I think everybody does something. That's the whole point is they all. Yeah, the assistant thing I would, would be, that would be much more impactful. Sure. What about, well, I mean, what about Marcus Freeman going against Cincinnati? The personnel, he knows the personnel inside and out. I mean, that's yeah. Like, yeah, or, I mean, I, or since that, or Mike Denbrock going against Marcus Freeman, like they they both know each other's playbooks, right? Yeah, they do. I would think that when they went head to head, and well, I've talked to Denbrock about when when they went head to head in practice, Cincinnati's defense generally had the advantage in those situations because they were better. I mean, they were, yeah, and <clears throat> you know, and Freeman's a little bit more aggressive, but I think that one that one leans more towards Freeman. It's a good question from Rob Ebert about. Dylan Gibbons, because just the, you know, and, and this is a question that teams all over the country are going to have to answer and prepare for with, with so much movement within the rosters. Kay Beasley asks, uh, says, love the counting down the Irish series. Who on the bottom quarter of the roster has the potential to really end the year way up due to injuries, someone getting benched, or they just skyrocketed up the depth chart a la Clarence Lewis. And I will preface it by saying, and Pete, I know you don't have the list of our players and the Nordic players in front of you, but you know, Tim and I and 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 Tom and Kevin in, in making our picks a lot we had in mind where they were on the depth chart at times and and you know what impact that would have on them. So, you know, it can happen. Clarence Lewis, it's a good point because it happened with Clarence Lewis. So Tim, who who do you think among those bottom I guess one quarter is about 22 or 23 of them that could emerge. I wrote about him yesterday because I think he's going to play special teams. And we all ranked him very close in like the low 70s. And we just dismissed him because of freshman wide receivers. I think Jaden Thomas will come in and play special teams immediately for Notre Dame as a strong, smart, confident football player that's not just a wide receiver. Does that make sense? Like yeah, He's not just a wide receiver. He can go do a million things for you. Um, and I don't think he'll catch a pass. Kid. Yeah, yeah he's a big physical kid. Yeah, he could. I, you know, I, I mean, I think again when I look at our list, and we have, you know, we have Chance Tucker and Ryan Barnes down there in that bottom yeah. one quarter. I think we have Philip Riley a little bit higher up because we saw him so frequently mm-hmm. working with the second team uh, during the spring. The Barnes and Tucker, uh, JoJo Johnson's a guy that I know Ryan Pulling was really high on him as a guy that could come in and maybe help it at nickel right away, he would be a name that came to mind. Jaden Thomas was a guy that I wrote down. I love Audric Estime's talent 
I don't necessarily know how many opportunities he'll get unless unless injuries strike. Do you have anybody else? I don't. I mean, where I don't know where you guys have Mitchell Evans, but I mean, you're, you're talking basically from 65 and up. Yeah, he yeah, probably right there. He, he right moved there. up a little bit. He moved up for us when we watched that blue game. Gold game <laughs> yeah. You know, had there not been a blue gold game, I think he definitely would have been in that bottom quarter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Car- Kari G. I don't know where you guys have him, but but that's yep. those are two freshmen that I think like yeah, these guys could do a little bit more this year than than maybe I would have thought. And he's already ranked a little higher than this bottom quarter but uh i mean okay. an injury an injury to jack kaiser puts prince collie way up on the list for yeah. me mm-hmm. right because right now it's kaiser maybe moala and then collie special teams and playing a little bit no kaiser all of a sudden you're like they're gonna get prince collie ready that's kind of how i think the injury would would square off with, or uh would shake down with that air pirate 73 last year it was tyree mayer and lewis who were the most productive freshmen who do you predict will be productive who will be the most productive true freshman this fall we've already mentioned i mean riley riley has a possibility of being that collie has a possibility of being that i think we have some other guys that are that are a little bit more obvious i mean sir you have the two offensive linemen and and tyler buckner as well i you know, Blake Blake Fisher is number one. I don't know why we're struggling here. We're right. Yeah, no, Blake he said, he said yeah. two okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, the two. Yeah, so the two offensive linemen, Fisher and Spindler, um, and then I th- I would put Buckner three, and then I really think it's sort of take your pick among the DBs. Is it is it Philip Riley? Is it Justin Walters? Is it Kari G? Is it Ryan Barnes? Is it Chad <laughs> I mean. I just listed all six of those guys. I'm not sure I could sit here and say like definitively what that one through six likely of playing will be, but I feel like whoever is number one on that list is going to do something significant. Yeah. If you say, if you get to pick defensive back, fill in the blank, I think he's a good number four. I wonder if Lorenzo styles and everybody's going to, some people are going to be happy and some people are going to shake their heads right now. If I say a freshman wide receiver, maybe Lorenzo styles. I mean, there's so many unproven items at wide receiver. I know they have talent, but, you're trying to tell me if Lindsay or Keys doesn't have a great camp, Brian Kelly's just going to say, that's all right. I trust him. We're rolling with him. I feel like there's a chance. For I think, yeah, I, I think that can happen, especially yeah. depending upon if they use uh, the versatility of Avery Davis and move them to outside right, of the, the Z position. Yeah. Styles would be on that list for me. Um, we have a question about Deion Colsey. I will save my commentary on that for mm-hmm. the for the question, but that would be, you know, again, a guy with size, a wide receiver with size, which obviously Notre Dame is is really lacking. And I would still think that from a grad transfer standpoint, they're still looking for a big receiver. Is there any way they can't convince? Oh no, he signed with the Rams. <laughs> no, they can't convince him. I'm sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if you if you could get another Benz Chronic, it would be uh, it would be really helpful. I don't know that he would necessarily get the number of reps and step into the starting lineup like Skoranek did, which is of course would be tied to to Austin yeah. Kevin Austin's return from injury. But uh, yeah, those are some of the ones. With, but Fisher and Spindler definitely are at the top of the list. Next from Tom Bullock, three should the Irish expand their QB recruiting in the manner we see Marcus Freeman doing for top defensive recruits. I think it, I, I found that to be an interesting question because I don't, I mean, I think it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit, right? You can't recruit quarterbacks the way you can any of the 11 positions defensively. Um, you know, yeah, what, what are you going to offer a whole bunch of scholarships to quarterbacks? Then, then what do you do when, when QB four says, okay, I want to come to Notre Dame. <laughs> You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yes. I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, everything about the way Marcus Freeman recruits is, is exciting for Notre Dame fans, but I, I'm not sure that you can take one situation and apply it to the other. Yeah. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I have a hard time figuring out what the, the carryover here would be, um, you know, to have Reese recruit quarterbacks the way Marcus Freeman is recruiting linebackers where, you know, there's, there's a chance they'll turn down a top 200 player at linebacker um, because they're full. Like you can't, can't do that at quarterback. Um, I just think the position is too important. There's, there's too much that goes into, can you handle being the quarterback at Notre Dame that um, 
to, to just blanket offer guys or shotgun offers. I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. Maybe just from the standpoint of uh, <clears throat> aiming, higher, aiming higher, as in the Phil, Draco- the Phil Dracovic, Tyler Buckner realm of recruit, as opposed to look, looking for a diamond in the rough. But I you don't know, know how, uh, how realistic <laughs> is that when, when you have an early entry Tyler Buckner in camp. I, I mean, I just don't. Oh, it's difficult. Last year was impossible. That was that was impossible last year. Um, you probably have another year without being able to do that because of Tyler Buckner. You're right. Um, it's a volatile position, though, man. And I know you look like, at Tyler Buckner, but if you're a great, like, great quarterback, you could beat him out. That's what other position on the entire roster, offense and defense, can you only really bring in one quarterback a year? I mean, I mean nothing. That's why it's so. That's yeah. why it's so unique, and everyone knows what the order of the offers are. So it's there's you can't even sort of like fudge that if you're you're recruiting. But you know, I, I, if if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're like, how? Why does it take Notre Dame, um, you know, this long to offer? Uh, is it Malachi Nelson in the 2023 class? Like that's a that's a conversation you could have. Um, yeah. You know, they got on Tyler Buckner really, really early, and they made the decision between him uh, and the kid that's going to Michigan. That you know, Buckner was their guy. Um, but you know, with with COVID shutdowns and no camps, I mean, I think it's worth remembering. Why did Tyler Buckner get offered? Because he came to camp at Notre Dame and killed it for Reese and Chip Long. They haven't really had any quarterbacks come to camp because that's not in the cards right now. Yeah. And to Tim's point about with Tyler Buckner being there, like that's probably why Brendan Clark was the guy they signed after Phil Dracovic because you had to get a diamond in the rough. And that's why Ian book was the guy you signed after Brandon Wimbush. Cause you had to get a diamond in the rough. I mean, that is literally how this works unless you're at Clemson and you know, the quarterback, like, you know, who young knew, Hey, Trevor Lawrence isn't coming back. All I gotta do is sit one year and I'll be in charge of the best second best program in the country. It's, if you look at the pattern, you see top. Well, I mean, Brandon Wimbush was 46 in the country. So I know he didn't throw like that, but 46 in the country, project. 83rd in the country, project. Tyler Buckner is what, 56 in the country? Project. They got to get the next Tyler Buckner, Phil yeah, Jacobi, Brandon Wimbush. Hey, what was the timing of Drew Pine's commitment in relation to Tyler Buckner's? Uh, I think Drew Pine was the first guy that committed in that class. I'm yeah, not but he was. I don't think he was before Buckner. I remember looking at Clark and already knowing about Pine, which was an interesting mm-hmm. thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, like that's I, why I, I'm I, asking yeah. the question because Buckner committed so early. Yeah, I don't know. It's different. <laughs> it's tricky, man. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. And right now they have the true freshman quarterback that came in early in the spring that, that they are very confident that's who they're going to build their future around. So um, it, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with Jack Cohn, with the, with the somewhat outside possibility of him being around for two years, if so, and that's probably not a good thing. If he's around for two years and something happened, right? He, right. Like, yeah, he so yeah. the, if you think about it this way, the best run they had would be, I can never remember where Golson was rated because I thought he was really good, but um the best run they had would be Keel, would be Keel, Zaire. I mean, in high school, like his ranking, you know. So the best run they had would be Keel, Zaire, Kaiser, Wimbush. With Kaiser, like, being the worst at maybe 240, that's pretty good run. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, they started was, this. Yeah, then they started the kind of star prospect, prospect, star prospect, yeah. prospect. It's For tough, what it's man. worth, it, it looks like Pine committed in April and Buckner committed in May. Like, they were essentially less than a month apart in despite being a full year apart in class. Right. Right. All right. Question from Mikey Gell. What are the chances of Kyle Hamilton as a wide receiver option in 2021? I assume this means a uh, red zone, right? Well, I didn't say that. I, I, I realistically it would only probably come in the red zone considering the injury that he's coming off of in the long rehab. Yeah. I just don't think that uh, Marcus Freeman is going to say, sure, go ahead and put him at, put him at receiver in the red zone. I think this was something that could have happened this freshman year when he right. was a part-time player. Right. Yeah, now there's no chance of this. You know, they probably should have done it his freshman year. <clears throat> I get, Cause if you looked at him in camp and said, Hey, we could do this, but let's table it. Cause we don't want to put too much on his plate. By the time that season was going on, 
you had healthy safeties and Kyle Hamilton. That probably wasn't yeah, true. Yeah, but remember, like, look into it. Yeah, but remember Brian Kelly saying that Hamilton said to him, "Man, the season seems awfully long." Oh yeah, that's true. Right, right. Maybe he was fighting here too. And last so, year was no last year was no yeah. chance, obviously, with the injury. Uh, Pete, you say no chance. I and let if you have some info on that. I mean, maybe you do. I, I, I would, I would leave open. No, I, the, I don't. Okay. Well, a, that, I would, the, yeah, I, I don't have a definitive word that there's no, no chance. I'm just looking at it like, okay, I'm Kyle Hamilton. I'm going to be a top ten pick, and you want me to play receiver? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good at safety. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that. That's another factor to consider as we continue to move forward because the player reigns supreme in in uh, in college football now, and it wasn't. Right. It wasn't always the case. MMB4, Michael Mayer will be moved around a lot to maximize his touches. I see that opening up the slot – I see that opening up slot production for keys and the running backs. I also see a role for incoming freshman Deion Colsey. He's an athlete that we do not have at receiver right now. What is your observation here? Well, Mike, I mean, you do have a receiver like that in Kevin Austin. Now, I don't know if the assumption's being made that he's not going to be healthy or what, but unless he – has some setbacks. Kevin Austin will be healthy and ready to go this fall. So you do have a, a player like that, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, Xavier Watts isn't quite in that mold, um, but he's a, I think he's a stronger receiver. We saw some flashes early in spring. I think it's possible, but you can't just say, hey, we need a receiver like that, so therefore he's going to play. He's got to be right. able to adapt to everything, and I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that, but you just can't say, oh, we need that body type. You're playing. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just based on the freshman receivers and the, the sort of limited roles, I I have a very difficult time seeing Deion Colsey have a role this year. I, I don't think he's that level of receiver. Um, Lorenzo Styles, if you were going to talk me, me into him having a TJ Jones type of freshman year, I'd be like, yeah, I can see that happening, but I, I have a hard time getting to Colsey, you know, having a real impact. Like, you know, a Corey Robinson in 2014, 2013, 2013. Yeah. Even like that maybe, but I, I wouldn't, I, I can't go beyond that. So I'm actually doing a story on this and Pete way to bring up Corey Robinson and steal the thunder there. But um, Corey Robinson that year, they had three freshman wide receivers make an impact. And by impact, anybody could argue against this all they want, but three different freshman receivers started three games. That's an impact, right? That's an impact. That's an impact. Yeah. So, but since then it's been, you know, you're, you're not getting more than one. So I would say I see an opportunity for Deion Colsey and it's twofold. Unfortunate because Kevin Austin isn't in there. There's number one opportunity for Deion Colsey, right? Then you do think, do we have to get this guy ready? And number two, maybe he seizes his opportunity, has a good camp and he does what Pete said. Nine catches, 167 yards, and a touchdown. That was Corey Robinson, who, by the way, absolutely lit it up all spring and August in camp when we watch. Remember Corey Robinson dominating yep. one-on-ones, just jumping in the air and grabbing from – but that's all he did. That now, season know, was outside that, stuff that he jumped up and grabbed. You know, that's all he could really do. And I, that's why I want to say that – I mean, I think Colsey is a – much better prospect than Corey Robinson was. But he looked awfully good when but we first did, saw no, Corey Robinson. He was, <laughs> was, no, he did. Yeah. And he was he was impactful. I mean, yeah. you could you could if you pointed to one person the, yeah, the greatest was, impact in defeating Michigan State, you could make a strong yeah. argument for Corey Robinson as a freshman. There's there's no doubt. But um yeah, I mean you're you're right. Kevin Austin's the impediment to Colsey. Yeah. If um you know, if he is healthy, we are going to skip down to CMU Pence fan. Who will Notre Dame miss the most this season? Sean Crawford, Devon McKinley, or Nick McLeod? It's a good question. Uh, Nick McLeod, I think. If Nick McLeod was the number one corner and Clarence Lewis was two, and then Cam Hart, Tariq Bracey were three, four, and the freshmen were coming in to take one of their spots, I'd say better defense. I tried okay. to talk myself into Crawford and McKinley and I couldn't. It's Nick McLeod is the answer here for everything that O'Malley just said. I'm picking I would pick Crawford uh because you who's gonna start opposite Hamilton? 
I mean, you can say Houston Griffith. No, I, I, I'm not saying he's better than Crawford. I just think McLeod was better than Crawford at his position. That's kind of how I – that's how I made I my agree. choice. McLeod was a better boundary corner than Crawford was a safety is how I was trying to do it. Oh, I guess I didn't look at it yeah. from that standpoint, but I hear what, I hear what you're saying. Uh, we're talking about big receivers, and none of us are picking McKinley. <laughs> I'm not picking McKinley. I, I would, I, I'm not picking I would. Skoranek would be behind McLeod. <clears throat> Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a good yeah. question because I just don't – you know how I feel about the spot opposite Hamilton at, at, at yes. safety. And I, you know, but Nick McLeod, you know, it was about now, right, when we were finding out that Nick McLeod was going to come play for Notre Dame. Yeah. We, all, we all looked at the film. It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> they do this? They're getting that guy? Great. That, all right. that was Is nuts. anybody else out there like him? Because they could use him too. Speaking of the countdown, Tim and I were like, whoa, where are we putting that guy at this point last year? We had already set the countdown and we we're like trying to figure out he was in the top 20 forever. There was no doubt about that. Yeah, and I don't, I, you know, I don't supplemental know. Supplemental draft. Yeah, yeah I was, don't, <laughs> right. I don't know that he necessarily lived up to what our expectations were, but he was they absolutely needed him. Yeah, and he was yeah. Yeah. he was dealing with a shoulder right from the very beginning and he right. played through it. So um, you know, that's a guy that was really, really beneficial in our name. I would, you know, I'd still just argue with Crawford because I think I think there was a tendency to focus on the plays that Crawford didn't make and to overlook sure. all the ones that he did and the sacrifices that he made with that little body of his for him and for Notre Dame, I thought were pretty impressive. Irish for me too. What in what world? <laughs> In what world is Michael Mayer not a top 10 tight end in college football? Asking for pro football focus that released their top 10 players by position in 2021. Well, um, not having studied all the tight ends in the country, it must be a really good crop of tight ends. I would agree with that. It was like I said, I think it was last week or the week before about Holden stays that I have a hard time imagining that there are nine high school tight ends better than him, but I haven't seen all of them. I, I don't always agree with pro football focus. Um, but they haven't studied the, the, I haven't studied the tight ends like they have. It, it reminds me of, you know, it was always Notre Dame offensive lineman always wanted to say, Mike McGlinchey would say it, that, you know, Harry, he stands the best offensive line coach in the country. How the hell would you know that? I mean, I don't know how you would know that since you only play for Harry Easton, but I understand the sentiment and I too have a hard time imagining that there are, Ten tight ends better than Michael Mayer. Yeah, I agree with all that. There's not ten. There's not. I don't. There's. I don't think there are five better um, than Michael Mayer. So, I think by the end of the year, when he's a Mackey Award finalist, we can look back and poo-poo Pro Football Focus for yeah on that that podcast. You know, Pro Football Focus says, uh, and I'm reading this story now because I didn't think this was humanly possible, and I saw it on a message board, so I just thought someone was lying. it says it lists a bevy of factors, including its own grade and some advanced metrics. I think they took their own grade into account by 90%. And you're grading a true freshman that had to play more snaps than any true freshman since, I don't know, who did we say was the last guy to play 572 snaps. So his run blocking grade was not overly high. And if you're going to rate him outside the top 10 because his run blocking grade is not as high as some other people, I put it this way. It's like taking advanced metrics in basketball and saying, Kyle McLaurin is a much better free throw shooter than Luke Aaron So their advanced metrics show that Kyle McLaurin is a better offensive player. I mean, come on, there's, there's things going in here. Michael Mayer, Charlie Kolar's number one on this list. I mean, he's a senior. He's been doing it for a long time. If you could keep him there, that's fine. Michael Mayer maybe is not a first team all American this year, but if you're trying to tell me there's 10, I mean, do you want me to read the list? Cause it's just going to be a waste of our airspace at this point. (laughs) There's no, Charlie Kolar makes sense. I mean, I'd rather have Michael Mayer, but Charlie Kolar makes sense. Arik Gilbert, you know, without a team. Heck of a player. But, I mean, Widermer from A&M, Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina, Bryant (laughs) Cuthy from Utah. And you you have not studied these guys. I have not, but I have studied Michael Mayer. (laughs) And, uh, you know, James, James Mitchell from Virginia Tech. I watched at least six Virginia Tech games last year, and I know who James Mitchell is, though I did not study his film like I did every day. Michael Mayer. I can promise you he's not better than Michael Mayer. And that's no, nothing against him. I remember his name. So he, I remember the guy. I remember seeing that guy. <laughs> this is just 
I hear you. And, and again, here's another analogy. Like, I, like I don't see, I don't study every yeah. high school senior in the list in the top 100, but I do, but I study these guys every year. And yeah. so you, you, there's a, there's a base for that. So like, you know, generally speaking, what a top 100 player looks like, right? Right. And Michael Mayer certainly looks like a top tight, top 10 tight end with, with relative ease. But I do want to, again, I want because we in this business, we analyze things to a level that the average fan doesn't just because yeah. that, that, I mean, that's what we do, but uh, you know, and so you have, I, I want to give some respect to pro football focus because no, he, and he is this on is names what to they watch. do for a living. He is on names to watch. Um, they have five yeah, more you guys. You should watch them for sure. Yeah, they, they have five more guys, five more guys. And uh, saying they could obviously claim they're on the cusp and could claim a spot in there. Yeah. But let me put it this way, <laughs> or just to put a bow on it. So you're saying Michael Mayer is the third best tight end in <clears throat> among Notre Dame's opponents and Notre Dame that will play in October with James Mitchell of Virginia Tech and Jake Ferguson of Wisconsin. Oh October, my September. god! Now come on, we're just <laughs> let's get let's get. Right I look forward to Priester's. Uh, Talent rank on uh, oh, tight ends God. this year to see where will, Notre Dame fits. I will submit it with reluctance, knowing the, I, I knowing the angst that I will would create. I, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be number one on my list, but no, it's a by position, so it's the whole right. unit. That stuff's well, so subjective. Don't get don't get too worked up about my ratings <laughs> or old football focus ratings. Uh, I'm actually going to slip a question in before this last one or, or after this last one. This one's from the real Bob Nas. If you had to handicap the odds for a dark horse Notre Dame Heisman candidate in 2021, who would you pick? Uh, I would tie it back to the Kyle Hamilton playing receiver question. Because um, if you were like, <laughs> yep, he's doing it and he's getting 20 snaps a game at receiver, then then maybe we'd be talking. That's well, a tough I mean, there's only, I mean, based upon position and the Heisman and the way it's done, right? It, it can only be a couple people. It can only be Jack Cohn or Kyron Williams, or it really can't even be Michael Mayer because was was Kyle Pitts in the Heisman? Voting? He was, but that's not. I mean, yeah. that's because he it was a unique season and he was astronomical too. That was in terms of stats. Well, so yeah. Michael Mayer would have to be. He would have to be in terms astronomical of stats as well. Yeah, so it's only Cohen or Kyron uh, Williams. Kevin Austin, I guess, if he were completely healthy and caught 70. You know, but, I mean, the whole notion of wide receivers winning Heismans, you know, Devontae Smith. I, right, I am looking at the Heisman odds. Graham Mertz is uh, plus 8,000. Okay, okay, let me say something about Graham Mertz since we're talking about <laughs> yeah. Palmer. You could, you could give me some his, time here, too, to look, so this is good. Okay, after his five-touchdown debut, the remaining games, the remaining five games, his inter, his intercept, his touchdown interception ratio was four to five. So, I mean, I guess you could put him on a Heisman list, but he's only there because he threw five touchdown passes in his first game. I don't to, uh, to to answer your question on where Kyle Pitts, he was tenth in the Heisman voting last year, which was one spot behind Ian Book. Wow. So, tight oh, yeah. tough. Um, tough. Tough deal. Hey, so I got a – this is an interesting situation. Jack Cohen is not on here. But unless there's another one, Brendan Clark is. So that's probably not an accurate Heisman list. Is there another Brendan Clark? Time for a quick Google, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd... I don't see another Brendan Clark. <laughs> Brendan Clark Oops. is on there. He's near the bottom of the list at plus 20,000. Only plus 20,000 for Clark. I would not waste your – Ten dollars on that one. Yeah, um, I mean, Cohen and Williams really are. Yeah, okay, the Notre Dame quarterback. If they were to go undefeated and he were to put up, you know, Kyron's on there. Thirty touchdown passes and three interceptions, and right, Kyron Williams is on there at uh, plus ten thousand, which is kind he, of around. Uh, uh, like Zamir White, um, George Pickens, Olave is it the same as Kyron Williams? You figure the quarterback at Ohio State would get it when that happens, though, right? No, if Owusu Koromoa wasn't on the short list, then yeah, Hamilton. What would Hamilton have to do in order to be included on a Heisman list? I play receiver. I yeah, well, yeah, play receiver. That and that—that's 
I mean, that is the kind of thing that starts to differentiate you. All right, okay. let's make a bet right now. Spencer Rattler plus plus 550 or DJ Uyunglele plus 600. You got to take one of them. I'm taking uh, Uyunglele. Yeah. Rattler. Then we, oh. have, then we have Bryce Young, JT Daniels, and Sam Howell. Time to move on from the Heismans right now. I think this is not a very... <laughs> okay, last question from J- Joseph Ramos. Show me the loss. I understand there are newcomers, new offensive line, but it's still a Notre Dame offensive line. Show me the loss. I think 11-1 and one is the floor for this program. So no, even no Joseph Ramos can show statement. you the loss then. <laughs> yeah, Joseph Ramos just showed you the loss. He yeah, you show me the loss, Joseph Ramos. <laughs> They're 11 and uh, one. Well, my, my first thought was if 11 and one is the floor for this program, how'd they go 11 and two in 2019? But I, but I'm being, a, I'm being sarcastic because they went to Georgia and they had yeah. to, they had to go to Michigan and they didn't play well. I get it. But so that, I mean, that accounts for two. I mean, couldn't you, you white, you, you couldn't lose to um, Wisconsin and North Carolina. You couldn't lose to Cincinnati and Southern Cal. I, I mean, I just. I don't really pick games by the game in the preseason. I just go the quality of the team that Notre Dame has versus the quality of the schedule. You know, if that makes sense, because I haven't, I've picked Notre Dame to lose in the week of the game. I've picked Notre Dame to lose one regular season game since the beginning of 2018. And that was Georgia, which we all picked at Georgia. Right. Um, yes. I picked them to beat Michigan wrongly in 2019. God, we kicked ourselves all night and all soon week as, for that. As soon as I got out of – you guys were the first ones on. You guys got off the podcast. You're like, oh, that was a terrible pick. I was like, really? I think they'll be fine. I got off the elevator in that rain, Pete, and the first person I saw was Tim. He's like, they're dead. I was like, wow, what happened since I got in that elevator? I walked from, <laughs> I walked from the parking lot. That's what I did. Yes. <laughs> then you're right. Long walk. And, I mean, not a, I don't think any of us anticipate them playing – no. as poorly as they did, but there was just... You meant they're was, dead 17-14, right? <laughs> it was, a, right, it was a really, really ominous night at Michigan Stadium. That was funny, from though. the parking like, lot to the press box. A lot changed in America since I got yeah, an elevator. It didn't, Apparently, this is... it didn't feel... I, I think Wisconsin... I, I mean, I can't imagine that I'm going to pick anything worse than 10-2. and two Right, but you will not pick 12-0, will you? Season. I think I in the same way that we can look at Michael Mayer and know that's a top five tight end. I look at this season and feel like probably a 10 and two year. Do you um, feel that after losing 14 guys that are in NFL camps right now, that they're going to go to the playoffs for a third time in four years? I just no. can't, I can't, I can't, look at, I can't look at football <laughs> in life like that. I just can't. There are other teams. Yeah. yeah. Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. I mean, they're, Alabama. There are just other teams like Notre Dame. I, you know, I said this before we started recording. I feel like Notre Dame is not Notre Dame is not in a Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia world, where if you don't make the playoff, your season was a disappointment. Full stop. No, don't try to argue it. That's it. Notre Dame, I think can have a, a go 10 and two, make a new year six game, win it. And you would say that was a really good season. You wouldn't have to qualify it. You wouldn't you would. have to say, but. You would. I would. Tim would. Yeah. Well. That would be a really good year. But that, but a lot of other people wouldn't. Yeah. You, I mean, you've raised the bar. The bar has really been raised now. Right. Where, where, you know, I mean, I've actually been, having been around Notre Dame fans for 40 years, I've actually been taken aback. And I realize that they've gotten hammered, Clemson hammered them, at least on the scoreboard. But just the, I mean, the the overall reaction that from a 12 and one season was, was much greater than I anticipated it. it would yeah. Be. You know, it's, um, I, I equate that to when, when guys transfer out that are, or when wide receivers don't play their five stars and transfer out, stuff like that. It, they act it's the cumulative effect. It's not that Jordan Johnson left. It's not that Phil Dracovic left. It's that people feel like they don't develop their top skill position player. Um, so people feel like, Hey, great year got killed by Clemson. It's the same thing as when we got killed by Miami and the same thing we got killed by Ohio state. The same thing we got killed by, you know, I, I the team. That, that's how that. I think it comes from. I get, I get all that, but 
I, a lot of people were like throwing the 2018 season away in the aftermath of the Clemson game. And that's just, you know, the, the, the whole notion that if you don't finish first, you finish last, that's just not real world stuff. Not within, not within the, the football offices across the country. You can't look at it that way. No, no. Only one place you're, looks you're, at it that way. Right. But I mean, you're spending tens of millions of dollars and everything's a failure. If you don't win the national national title, mm-hmm. that's just, that's not how it's really viewed by the people that are what college football are, are college football represent college football, but Joseph Ramos, we love your enthusiasm, man. Keep it up. It's beautiful. He found the loss. He said they're 11 and one. I want to know what the people, yeah. I want to know the loss. He, he will definitely <laughs> listen and then he'll tweet it. He, will, he, will, he will tweet it out. We have confidence that he'll tweet out. We appreciate you joining us. We're, uh, our plan is to have a podcast next Monday. The following Monday is Memorial Day, and we will bypass that. And we'll start to spread them out a little bit as we go through the summer. But we do want to uh, – the, the idea is to kind of create some themes that we can do this first segment with or mix things up a little bit as opposed to answering the same questions about uh, uh, Xavier Watts and some of the people that we get on a, on a, on a weekly basis who – by the way, we did have one of those questions, but Xavier Watts was was injured this spring for a good portion of it. So that's why there wasn't a whole lot of talk about him after the first week to 10 days. So that's all we have today. We appreciate you joining us for this May 17th Irish Illustrated Insider. We will talk with you next week. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.